But it's difficult, right? Because there is something new every day. And you go to some of these AI tool repositories, you know, whether it's then AI for that, future beer or product hunt or whatever it happens to be, people are releasing tens of hundreds every day. So it's difficult, not necessarily looking at what's out there, deciding what not to look at. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge that I'm finding at the moment, being on sort of the, the bleeding edge, as it were, of looking into all of these tools. All right, welcome to a, another special episode of the Hashtag Finance Master Show and podcast. We're excited today to have Adam Shilton with us. Since we are talking about AI and finance and accounting, I thought, who better than, uh, than Adam Shilton to talk about this? He's been growing like crazy on LinkedIn this past uh, six to nine months, and I'm sure you've seen all the sometimes a bit nerdy stuff perhaps he's sharing out there, but he's really sharing a lot of great uh, a lot of great guidance in terms of how we can actually use all this technology that is it's just coming out in free flow with the generative AI being one of the latest, of course. And he knows a lot more about the tech side than, than I do. So I'm also very curious to, to learn today. But Adam, welcome to the show. Why don't you just give a brief interview yourself and then we can take the long one in just a little bit. Yeah, fine. So really appreciate you having me on, Anders. I've been following you since, well, pretty much since I started on LinkedIn. So thanks for that. You, you've uh, been a source of inspiration there. So yeah, I've, I've been working in sort of tech for coming up to nine years now. And yeah, more recently focused on finance tech. So that, that was probably maybe two, two and a bit years ago that I decided to align myself in, in that sense. I can give you the, the full backstory depending on time. But yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. In terms of what I do now, obviously I post daily on, on LinkedIn and I try and share the insight that I uncover as a bit of sort of a finance tech nerd along the way. Well, that, that's great. And I, mean, I, I, I do what, you know, want to have the, the backstory. I mean, I'm seeing some guitars and some drum sets here behind you. I mean, of course, we're not going to show, show the video to the audience. So I'm just telling a bit here. And I, I could also see that you have sort of a background in, in music as well. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, what is the backstory and how, how does all this, this come together? So I suppose I'm a, I'm a bit of a patchwork quilt. And when people have asked me the backstory question before, I've, I've kind of given half an answer because it is a bit of a, a potted history, but I, I, I mean, I, I'll try my best. So yeah, I did a degree in music production, sound recording, and that's because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, you know, I'd always been good at guitar, you know, it was a, it was a source of friendships and a source of community for me, um, you know, playing, playing in, in bands and doing that sort of stuff. So I thought, I don't know, so I'll just do something that, that I enjoy. Right. But like many people I've, I've finished uni, I thought, oh, I've got to get a job now. <laughs> and at that time the, the music just wasn't going to pay the bills. So, you know, I, I did weddings on the weekend, but my, my first job was actually selling property. So I did that for for a year or so, selling crappy. So I, did, I didn't really enjoy it, um, but I'd, I'd always been a bit of a, a tech nerd. So so years ago, my first proper job, I coded websites, like lots of people, did a bit of the sales and marketing to sort of, you know, drive, drive interest to, to websites and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, right, well, tech is probably a better fit for me if, if the music thing's just going to be like a leisure activity, shall, shall we say. So I moved into a sales role. It was just lead gen at the time. So sort of smiling and dialing. And that was for, for a dynamic part. So that was my first window into, I guess, modern, modern technology from, from a business perspective. But like many people, I got a bit fidgety because I didn't want to smile and dial all the time. So I moved on and I won't give you the, the entire like description of all of the places that I worked because I, I worked in a lot. 
but I never regret the two years that I spent moving about. So, so the first move I went into data and analytics. So it was actually helping companies find out where they were spending in terms of energy. Yeah. So, so we'd provide graphs, visualizations for people to nail down where they might not have realized where they, they were spending. So we had, you know, groundkeepers that were leaving, you know, football floodlights on that nobody knew about that was, you know, costing a load. We had local councils that found that they, some of the homeless people had been leaving some of the hair, hair the hand blowers on in some of the community toilets and it was costing them a lot of money. So that was really interesting for me because it kind of made that data real and that sort of the storytelling element, which obviously I know in, in finance is really important, right? You need to be able to tell that story. It's, then I moved in construction, helping construction teams digitize, you know, the massive reams of paper they had the back in the vans when, you know, they, they were sort of traveling all over the place. And then I moved back into data analytics in the agricultural space. And that was monitoring livestock to ensure that the conditions were best for, for their well-being. So we had climate data, we had humidity data, you know, pressure, all of that sort of stuff. And I remember my first proper, I guess, tech project was with BI. So it was taking data from poultry sheds, so chicken sheds in Peru, it was about 20 sheds, and then amalgamating it into a dashboard so that we could then find insights off, off the back of that. So that was a really interesting exercise. But then I had the opportunity to move back into ERP and finance software, and I'd always enjoyed that most. So I thought, yeah, let me do it. So I went back in and the more I learned, the more I wanted to share. So I've always enjoyed sort of presenting, I guess, and maybe that's the showman from the, you know, doing the gigs and the, the playing guitar and, and all of that sort of stuff. But that's kind of the point that I started posting a little bit more on, on LinkedIn. So that was back in the, the dynamic space. More recently, I moved into the Sage and SAP space and I was sort of unearthing all of the sort of background of how the tech worked and how businesses were making decisions about tech adoption. So inspired by the, the likes of you, Anders, and, and some, some other people on LinkedIn, I started posting every day, sharing what was in my head to get it out there. Shortly after came the podcast and, you know, you introduced me to Christian and that episode now, which is episode two of the podcast, is still the highest performer. It still gets oh, the most downloads. I'll tell him that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that was really good. Love that conversation. And you know, the vote of confidence for somebody who was basically at ground zero was amazing. So again, for, forever grateful for that. And then AI hit. And, and as, I, as I've said on some of these discussions, you know, I lost my Christmas last year to generative AI and, and chat GPT. Because I, I looked at it and, and my mind was blown. You know, and, and maybe it's just, I already had experience with AI, you know, sort of machine learning, you know, in the context of ERP and, and Power BI with the, you know, data Q&A and, and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, I, I need to be talking about this. So I did. And of course, because it's still a hot topic, that's really, I, I've kind of ridden the wave, I guess, a little bit, not deliberately. It's just kind of a, a result of circumstance, I guess. But obviously everybody is keen to know more about AI. I'm still not an expert. You know, I'm, I'm trying my best. There's still so much more to uncover. But the more I post, the more feedback that I get that it is useful. And as you said, some of it is a, a bit technical, mm. uh, but hopefully I, I get it across in a way that is, is easy to understand. But if anybody does have feedback for me, then, you know, I'm only mm. direct message way. So anyway, a bit, bit of a long intro there for you, but that's me. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a lot of people lost their spring break to Silicon Valley Bank, right? So you can always <laughs> kind of like, you know, those uh, moment in time where, okay, you know, here I just had to dug and cover and sit in a dark room for, for a month to try and figure out, uh, you know, how, how is my life going to recover from all of this, right? But yeah. yeah, how do you sort of go from, let's say, being a, a user of technologies to try and push yourself towards the forefront and being one of those that, okay, a new thing comes out and I got to be one of the first people that I can actually 
you know, talk about this in real terms and help people understand it better? How, how do you sort of manage, handle that, that, that shift, so to speak? Well, I, I try and, I try and break it down because I mean, you know, they always say that musicians tend to be good at maths because it's all about patterns, right? That is not me. I'm not good at maths. That's it. But, but for me, I've, you know, for me to understand, I need to kind of break things down into frameworks and step-by-steps. So, so that's how I tackle everything. I think when I see a new technology or something that I don't understand, my default isn't to resist it, it's to try and pick it apart. And, and that's what I try and do. So when I say a new tool, you know, something like ChatGPT or some of the latest iterations, you know, Llama 2, Claude 2, which we can talk about a little bit later, I just want to get under the hood, you know, and, and the theory is if I can break down my investigation and share that, then it's, it's going to help other people, right? So first comes my understanding and then comes the logical presentation of that understanding. But it's difficult, right? Because there is something new every day and you go to some of these AI tool repositories, you know, whether it's, there's an AI for that or future peer or product hunt or whatever it happens to be, people are releasing tens of hundreds every day. So it's difficult, not necessarily looking at what's out there, but deciding what not to look at. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge that I'm finding at the moment, being on sort of the, the bleeding edge as it were of, of looking into all of these tools. So, so how do you, how do you make your choices then? Because, you know, there, now there's like 10 tools that can do the same thing as, as, as ChatGPT, right? So how do you, how do you make your choice and say, okay, you know, I can't be an expert in all of them. I'm going to pick these two or how do you, how do you sort of make those choices? First, being very blunt is whatever looks the coolest, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm coming from a sales and marketing background and naturally the, the bright, shiny lights do have an effect. <laughs> I choose but I do try and get into to the detail pr pretty quickly. So, so if I ever like pull up a tool, for example, and I don't see that it's like uh, SOC two or SOC two compliant from a data perspective, I'm a bit cautious because obviously that's that's at the forefront of, of everybody's minds. But secondly, obviously, it has to have a finance focus. You know, if I can't see utility in the tool for a finance application, then then it's out. Or if I see that it's just another me too. So just to use an example, there's probably a thousand document Q&A AIs now that exist where you upload a PDF and ask it questions. If I see another one of those, I tend to just, you know, you know, so, so frequency of seeing stuff, you know, mm. I tend to, you know, I, I'm unbiased, you know, I don't, don't really have any sponsors or anything like that, um, but that's a, a little bit of the decision process that comes into that. No, that, that's good to know because I mean, every single person out there is, is kind of going through those, you know decision trees of processes for deciding, okay, you know, I, as a, you know, normal user of some of these things, you know, I, I don't get overwhelmed, but it's only for the fact that I don't look at or know even all the things that are out there. Right. But if, if I knew it's kind of like, I mean, I, my head would explode and I wouldn't know where to start or where to begin or where to end. I, it would just, I would just not do anything. Right. I'll be sitting here like, okay, this AI thing is not for me. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's helpful. I think for people to, to know a bit about that. But, but of course you mentioned finance here a few times and you said, you know, if it's not relevant with finance, you stay out of it. So kind of considering your educational background and the fact that you moved around a lot, you know, what is it that, you know, how did you end up in finance or working with finance professionals? How did all that come about? So I mean, I guess all roads lead to finance, right? But no, I found, you know, especially in the ERP space. If it didn't help finance, wasn't going to help the business and the chances of actually implementing something were going to be pretty low, right? You know, not just down to the purse strings, obviously finance control, you know, it wasn't that. It's the fact that a lot of process is dictated and a lot of transformation originates in, in finance. 
Plus, I spoke to a load of really good people in finance, you know, and, and the finance community on LinkedIn has been one of the most welcoming that, that I've ever experienced. So, so, so that was that. But I just looked at it in terms of value add. You know, if, if, if I do have something to share, who's going to get most benefit from it? And, and, you know, at the time I was thinking, right, well, do I align myself with more of the operations side of things or I do more of the finance side of things? And, and finance was, was the one that, that stuck out. So that was the decision there. Obviously, I've, I've got no formal training in finance and accounting. And, and I think you, you and I have spoken about sort of imposter syndrome and, and all of that sort of stuff on, on some exchanges that we've had. But I'll just, I'll keep, keep with the focus that, you know, if it's useful to people, I'll keep doing it. Oh, it makes, makes sense. It's just, which also made data analytics, for instance, right? Which is something we've talked a lot about in this show here earlier on where, you know, it's, it's, it's a very much adjacent field to finance. Obviously you, you're not just a finance person and then you become a data analytics person. There's, there's of course differences there, but there, you know, there's also a great community for, for those on, on LinkedIn and with technology background, it's yeah. So it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, how, how did you end up in finance and talk about the welcoming community and, and the great benefits you see there. And, and obviously, you know, if the if the CFO is not on board with, with with buying a tech another technology solution, then you know it's probably not going to happen. And even if the CFO says, "Okay, go do it," then there's still the whole benefit realization part of it is is typically something that gets left on the side. And then a year after, people look at each other and say, "Are we actually better off?" Right. So I think there's a lot of value for being a tech person in finance. But obviously, understanding the finance world is something that you know probably is good to prioritize because you know we're. Of course, create us on LinkedIn, but you know, it's, it's the real stuff that that's happening out there. So, so definitely something to, to ponder on as you, you continue your, your journey here, I would say. And the other thing as well is I, I loved giving finance software demos. So <laughs> I, I did a lot of that and, and still do it a little bit, but there was a, a massive amount of satisfaction in showing something new and almost hearing that sort of pin drop moment where you you kind of get that response, you know, I had no idea you could do that, or that's going to help us so much, or all of that is manual for us at the moment, you know? So there was, yeah, as I say, a lot of satisfaction that came of, you know, sharing what was available and what could be achieved. So I think yeah. we had an influence on that as well. Yeah, and absolutely. Would you say if you compare to like, you know, sales and marketing operations or other parts of the business that finance is behind in terms of tech adoption from what you've seen? No. Lots of, lots of people say that, yeah, you know, finance, are, you know, the bangers on the desks, you know, I don't want to change. This is my process and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the reality is it's no different for, for other areas of the business. Mm. I think, and I had this discussion on a, on a previous podcast with, with Roy, Roy from Received, and we were talking about that sort of the sales piece. And we kind of came to the conclusion that sales gets a lot of attention because that's kind of the... That's how you get revenue, right? You know, so there's a lot of buzz around, you know, CRM systems and the automation and, and all of that sort of stuff. So sometimes that comes first, you know, there's an argument to say that, you know, if you don't have a customer database and you don't have a means of getting a message in front of somebody, you don't have a business, right? You know, but maybe that's a bit biased coming from a sales and marketing button, right? But when you look at other areas of the business, you know, especially more industrial businesses, you know, whether they're either manufacturing or, you know, they operate large warehouses is... There's a ton of people that do the doing in those areas of the businesses that are probably the most averse to change. And, and I, I didn't help myself. I had no idea of the industry when I went into it, but I mentioned construction, right? When I was actually physically going to site, helping these people use these tablets that they didn't want to use, 
and it was such a challenge. You know, it was such a challenge. So yeah, I mean, finance has got problems like at, at any other part of the business, but that's not to say that they're more behind. In a lot of instances, I see them as actually more future focused in some areas of the business. Uh, so that's good to hear because as you said, you know, it's said a lot that finance is, is running behind, right? And, and maybe we don't get as much investments as sales would, but just, just because you get investments, it doesn't mean that you're actually ahead, right? Because there's also the whole, the whole adoption piece here. But obviously, you know, you know, technology and digital transformation has been like a kind of like a, a ravaging topic for finance professionals for, for decades. And, you know, the death of the accountant or the death of, the, of Excel has been proclaimed many times over, yet, yet here we are. I mean, we're still using Excel and we still have a lot of accountants. And I think in, in the U.S., there's a huge accountant shortage, right? So it's, it's very interesting that that kind of paradox is, is still there. But if you were to sort of kind of give a status on technology adoption in the finance function, how would you say we're doing? I suppose my, my view is a, is a bit blinkered at the moment because a lot of the people that I speak to are already bought into that, you know, tech adoption, tech transformation piece. So obviously the businesses that I work with, I see a good amount of, of tech adoption, right? I suppose it does, does relate to, to industry. I guess, you know, there's, there's a lot of say nonprofit organizations, especially here in the UK that are still happy to use, you know, Sage 50 and spreadsheets forever in a day, you know, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think the difficulty comes with complexity, you know, because there's a certain amount of complexity that means you've got no option, but to either improve your process or, or accept that you're just not, not going to grow your business. If I gave sort of a rough finger in the air, you know, how well finance are adopting technology, I'd say as, as best as they can, given what they know. Okay. You know, and a lot of people just don't know. You only know what you know, right? You know, so it's up to yeah. us to obviously communicate that message and make sure that people do know. So getting better, but no worse than anybody else. No, that, that, that's good to hear. Because there was a, there's a study or a publication by Accenture a few years back. And I keep referring to this because the, the numbers were a bit mind-blowing. It's from 2021. And they said that the automation rate on the transactional processes in the finance function, so of course not across everything, had gone from 34% in 2018 to 60% in, in 2021 which is a massive shift. Of course, you know, the whole pandemic probably also played a big role there, but is it, do you see companies, you know, the ones you work with, which are probably more, let's say, attractive than maybe others, do you see those at as, as, as 60% in the, let's say, transactional space, right? So, you know, getting the numbers into the system, scanning invoices and paying bills and whatnot, or is it still much less than that? I can't say in terms of percentages. Well, um, that, that, that's fair, but just, just your impression, I'd say. Yeah, but, but what, what I'd say is... We just need to be careful when we talk about automation. And, and I know we'll probably get into this a little bit later on, but there's obviously different tiers, you know, because some levels of automation have existed for years. Um, AP automation, OCR, that is not new. Likewise, on the, on the AR space, you know, and, and I remember years ago in the dynamic space, they, they were already using AI to capture sort of email information to structure into an order and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So there's been some clever stuff for, for a number of years. I'd say that if we're saying that the rate of automation is 60% across the finance function, I'd agree if that is with sort of the low hanging fruit, like the OCR and the invoice capture. Yeah, I've yeah. no, no issue with, with saying that. If we're talking about automation from say a, a robotic process automation, you know, so taking it a step further than just the document capture piece, I'd say it's probably lower. And then when we start moving into the generative AI space and sort right. of the level of I wouldn't say necessarily automation, but time freed up, I'd say that's a lot lower as well. I am, um, and you may be as well, Anders, a Gartner peer community ambassador. 
And in interacting with some, some of the people on the statistics there, there are also some, some interesting stats. And I can't remember the figures. It was positive from a generative AI perspective, right? So there was some feedback that said, and it was only a small segment. So I don't think the volume of data is quite there. But it said that 34% had already at least started investigating or implementing some element of generative AI as part of their workflow. And to me, 34%, that's a good figure because it says to me, you know, it's not just a buzz. You know, this is something that, that people are actively trying to adopt. Yeah, I guess, you know, it will, it will come with more full of force, let's say, once uh, Microsoft gets all this integrated into their, their, their suite of products, right? I mean, that's, that's typically how it comes, right? Just look at the whole AI space for years and years and years. It was these big bulky solutions. They might look good on visualizations at the end of the day, but then came Power BI and the whole game was changed, right? Yeah. Uh, so whether you like it or not, I mean, a lot of adoption really comes from there where it just gets pushed into the, the normal tools that, that we use, right? Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens with Copilot. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of liken it to, so obviously Excel is the fallback for, for everything, right? You know, if we can't achieve something with a tool, you know, the tool that we always fall back to is Excel. I think, firstly, from a Microsoft's perspective, to roll out generative AI across all their, their platforms is going to take a huge amount of server usage. So I think, and again, I'm making predictions here, that <laughs> we, we won't get the full power of something like OpenAI or Llama 2 or whatever the large language model is within Office. I think we will see some limitations on what you can do within the co-pilot. But I'm, I'm a full proponent and advocate of getting it built in because even if it's, you know, 30, 40% of what you can do with a standalone tool, like chat GPT and some of the others, there are still going to be some wins there. I think there's still going to be a gap for the finance pros that have an understanding of AI outside of Copilot, because I think it sort of evolves it from that standard, think about word, right? You know, Copilot's popped up. Oh, do you want me to, it looks like you are creating this sort of document. Do you want me to finish it off for you? You know, so my, my, my feeling is we still might be a little bit in what Glenn Hopper uh, refers to as predictive text mode. You know, obviously right now when we write in Word or Google Sheets or whatever it happens to be, you see the, the suggested words coming up. So it'll be an extension of that. Interesting to see what will happen in Excel, you know, whether it can actually surface data insight when you're working on a spreadsheet or whether it's just going to suggest formulas or help you with formatting or whatever it happens to be. So I don't know is a short answer, but my, my feeling is that if you're just using Copilot, you're probably not going to be accessing the, the full, the full toolkit, if you know what I mean. No, but I guess what it will do is that it will, you know, bump up the adoption rate of just these tools in general, right? So if you have to go to a separate tool, you're not quite sure whether it's vetted and it's all yep. these things, right? But if you, you know, if it comes into Microsoft Excel, well, then, you know, it's, it's probably been vetted by all the appropriate parties and you can be okay by using it and so on. So I think that, that in itself will give people more, make them more comfortable to actually try some of these things. I'm all for that. All for that. Fine.